0: statistically the business venture that is most likely to fail is a restaurant more restaurants begin and then go out of business than any other kind of business that there is so we understand that statistically the restaurant business is is very dangerous i heard a financial guy on the radio one time say it this way he said if you want to make a small fortune i get that if you want to make a small fortune He said, start with a large fortune and open a restaurant. (laughs) So it's a dangerous proposition to be sure. But still people, for some reason, there's there's this great desire on the part of a lot of people to to have their own restaurant. And so new restaurants start all the time. Let's say that's you. Let's say that you started a new restaurant. You open it, uh, but only a few customers come. There's just not very much business it's looking kind of bad. It's looking like you might be one of those restaurants that starts and soon thereafter goes out of business. You would ask, why? What's what's wrong here? What are we missing? Is there, is there something uh, uh, about the food that's not... Not what people want? Is it it something about our service? Maybe we're not providing friendly service. Is it something about our menu selections and so forth? You'd, You'd be looking for the answer. Why aren't people coming? Why won't people respond to our restaurant endeavor? You better find the answer, of course, because if you don't find the answer, you're going to go out of business. Well, I want to draw a parallel to that, to our work in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here we are, and uh, we teach and preach the gospel. In reality, we are offering people the very best thing there is. We are offering people through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We are offering salvation for people's souls. But very few people come. Very few people take advantage of that offer. Why is that so? Yeah, this is the business that we're in. We're in the business of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to lead people to salvation in his name. But so few take advantage of that. Why is that? Well, I think we should ask ourselves the question. Just like you would ask if you were in the restaurant business, why aren't people coming? For us, whose important business is bringing lost people to Christ... We need to ask the question, what are some of the contributing factors why people say, no, I do not want to be baptized into Christ? For a few minutes this morning, we want to think about some potential answers to that question. Some of it obviously has to do with those folks who won't accept the offer. But could it possibly be somewhat because of us that more people are not being baptized into Christ? We want to ask that question this morning. Thanks for being here. If you wanted to paint up a picture-perfect weather day, I don't think you could probably do much better than today. A beautiful Lord's Day here in Middle Tennessee, and we are so blessed to be together. We're glad that you're here. We thank you for your presence and participation and for the encouragement that you offer to the rest of us by being here. And for any and all who are visiting with us today, thanks for coming. Uh, Please come again whenever you have a chance to do so. We'd love to have you come and, and, and visit us over and over again. If you have any questions, ask those questions. We'll be doing our best to try and answer them. So why are more people not being baptized into Christ? Well, I think obviously a very first kind of take on this question is that there are some people who just love this world. They love the world. The love of the Father is not in them and therefore they are not inclined to accept the offer of salvation. They are not convinced... About what is the most important thing in life? They are all attracted to what's in this world. You've heard, obviously, through the years, you've heard about the experiment where you take a a, a dollar bill and you crumple it up in a wad, and you take a shiny pick, a, penny, a shiny new penny in your other hand, and you offer it to a, a a young child, a crumpled dollar bill or a shiny penny, and the immature child will take the shiny penny every time, right? They don't understand. They're not seeing what is of value. And this is the same idea about a lot of people in the world. They're just attracted to the things of this world. They do not love the Father. Therefore, they are not going to come and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. A text that we talked about in our adult class here at the Auditorium this morning is a very well-known text in 1 John 2, beginning verse 15. the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, it's not possible to hold hands with both elements. We've got to either love the Father or we're going to be loving this world. In Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning verse 1, Paul told Timothy, Know this also, that in the last days perilous time shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, lovers of their own selves, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We know, and it's been borne out time and time again, that if you were to survey people, just do a man-on-the-street survey, even right here in Columbia, Tennessee, if you ask people, do you love God, the overwhelming answer would be yes. Uh, I think that those percentages are probably changing over time, but right here where we live... The vast majority of people say that they love God, but the problem is they love pleasure more than they love God. And that's the problem. And the reason why people won't come, learn the gospel truth, and be baptized into Christ for their eternal salvation is because they love the world. They love the things that are in the world. They love pleasures more than they love God. In James chapter 4, verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That makes it pretty plain, doesn't it? It is either or. We can't have it both ways. But I'm convinced uh, that there are a lot of people who are in this category. And a lot of the reasons why more people don't come and be baptized into Christ is because... They love the world more than they love the Father. Really, just like that experiment with a child, crumpled dollar bill, shiny penny, what we're suggesting is that the gospel offers things that are eternal versus things that are temporal. Which one are you going to take? A lot of people making the wrong decision there. I would suggest that Another reason why more people don't come to the truth is because they're blinded by denominational error and false teaching. This is just a sad reality. And I know that you are aware of this. There are just thousands of conflicting messages out there in the religious world. That's no exaggeration. There are literally thousands of conflicting messages. Uh, It's not surprising then that people get confused and they might pursue after a certain line of thinking and religious teaching that is in error. But unfortunately what happens is when people pursue this this particular line of thought and it's not true to the scriptures and it's in error on many points but when they get locked into that and maybe when they get all their friends that are in that pursuit maybe their own family is connected with those particular kind of denominational practices It's hard for them to change. If I was to change, I'd have to give up my friends. I'd have to give up some of the relationships with my family and so forth. People become blinded by denominational error and false teaching. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Bob was with us on the Virtual Bible Study Thursday night. We were making the point, when a warning is issued, there must therefore be some danger to be warned about, right? If there's no danger, warnings make no sense. Well, when Jesus said, beware, there's the warning. The danger is false teachers, false prophets. Beware of false prophets, Jesus said. In 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We try to make the point pretty often that the Apostle John, who penned these words by inspiration, was known as, it sometimes is identified as the Apostle of love. He had so much to say about love, but he also warned about false teachers, false prophets gone out into the world. And then in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, Peter said, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. It's, It's just a reality. And it's always going to be that way. As long as time continues, there are going to be those who pervert the truth of God, who teach falsely, and sadly, very sadly, people will follow after those false teachings. Now, That's why we've got to be on guard, why everybody needs to be on guard, be aware that there is the reality of false teaching, because even if if I'm misled by a false teacher, then I'm still going to be accountable. The false teacher will be accountable for what he did, but I'll be accountable because I didn't try the spirits to see where they've got. A lot of people are not coming to the truth, A a lot of people are not being baptized into Christ because of denominational error and false teaching. I would suggest to you that a real big problem is sort of the problem of procrastination. People intend to obey the the gospel ultimately, but they just keep thinking there's there's more than enough time, I'll get around to that, i got some other things pressing me right now, but I will do it. The word, of course, is procrastination, putting it off. You know it should be done, but you just don't do it. We do that in all aspects of life, don't we? I had intended this summer to paint the barn or paint part of the barn behind the house. Uh, I haven't done that yet. It's been there. It just keeps staring me in the face. There's some of that barn that hadn't seen paint in a number of years and it needs some painting. But I've been putting that off. I've been procrastinating. We do that, don't we? I'd say people do the same about God. It's not that they don't know. Uh In other words, they actually, maybe this is not a factor. Maybe they know the truth. They have not been deceived or led astray by false teaching. But they just keep putting off doing what they know they ought to do. In the parable that Joseph read for us earlier from Luke chapter 12, Jesus famously told about the foolish rich farmer. He spake a parable to him saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. We like to think that wouldn't happen to us. That we do, in fact, notice, he thought that he had many years left. And my guess is if we took a survey of all of us here this morning, we think we got lots of time left, right? Many years. There's many years left. But it could happen to us as it happened to the rich farmer and our life be taken from us almost instantaneously. And that being the case, it's absolutely foolish, as Jesus said, to postpone giving our lives to God. In Acts chapter twenty four, at verse twenty four, the apostle Paul was before the Roman governor Felix. After some days, after some days later, Felix arrived and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, "Go away for the present. When I find time, I will summon you." This is the New American Standard Version. And it has Felix saying, when I find time. You might be even more familiar with the King James translation. There's when I have a convenient season. Well, when I have time, when it's convenient, I'll call for you. Apparently for Felix, that never happened. The time never came. And my my thinking is it won't happen for the rest of us either. There's never a convenient time. You'll never have just time to waste, and so you can devote it to God. Uh, the, the, the postponing, the looking for a convenient season, it doesn't work. Let me suggest to you that another reason why some people are not baptized into Christ is because the gospel is maybe not preached in plain and simple terms. Um, you ever been confronted with trying to decipher a legal document, maybe something that you had to do with your work or your business or whatever, and there was some kind of a legal document that you had to understand and sign off on. And man, sometimes that is just so confusing. Lawyers even have their own language, don't don't they? We call it legalese. They don't talk in plain English. They talk in their special particular kind of jargon. And it's just really confusing, and you, may, and, and you can't make heads nor tails of it. Well, when it comes to Bible things, of course, lots of people think the Bible is just incredibly hard to understand. And we may make it worse if we don't speak in plain, easy-to-understand terms. We may, we may make it even more complicated, more difficult, more confusing if we don't preach the gospel in plain, simple terms. Now, those plain, simple terms obviously will include telling people in understandable ways what they need to do to be saved. And even in regards to this idea of being baptized into Christ, that needs to be explained plainly. I may have told you, but a while back, we attended a gospel meeting, and the young preacher who was preaching preached a lesson, and at the end, when it came time for the invitation, he just said simply, I'm going to put it in these terms. He said, let go and let God. I was dumbfounded by that. I, I don't understand that. What does that mean? I need to know more plainly than that what I knew, need to do in order to be saved. Let go and let God is not a plain, simple explanation of the gospel requirements for salvation. We need to speak in plain, simple terms. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning verse 1, Paul said, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. I'm convinced that there are some who want to use enticing words of man's wisdom. They want to impress you with their oratorical skills. They, they want to maybe get you to be of the opinion that they are a great public speaker." Well, it's not about being great public speakers, is it? It's about declaring the gospel of salvation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. That's what we need. We need plainness of speech. I'm going to tell you, I believe that Paul, by all indications, he had a very thorough, formal education in religious matters. He said that he had studied at the feet of the famous rabbi in Jerusalem, Gamaliel. He was a learned man, but he said, we use great plainness of speech. And that's what we need to do. And so if the reason why more people are not being baptized into Christ is because we're not making it plain enough, then that's on us, right? And I, I think that that can be corrected pretty easily. Let's use great plainness of speech. Let's make it understood what people must do to be saved. Finally, and I don't mean this to be a categorical listing of all the possibilities, but I think another possibility is that Christians are sometimes afraid to share the saving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm sure I don't have to explain what I mean by this. And my guess is that we have all, at one point or another, felt this fear. If I speak up... uh, the person that I'm talking to might get mad at me. Or the person that I'm trying to teach might reject the message and me personally. But maybe the greatest fear is if I talk to people about salvation, they might think that I'm weird. They might think that I'm some kind of religious nut or fanatic. I just don't want to talk to people about salvation because I'm afraid uh, of how they might react to me. Now, if you consider that for a minute that's not reasonable it's not a reasonable fear i think it's a i think it's a fear that exists but it's not a reasonable fear i should not be afraid of what people think of me if i share with them the most important truths in the world compare it to this what if there was a fellow who was drowning to death and so i'm here I'm, i i i maybe in a boat nearby or i am on the bank and this guy is out here and he's drowning he's drowning he's going to die I do not think first, well, what will he think of me? How will he react to me if I try to save him? Will he think that I'm maybe some kind of a weirdo if I dive in and try to save him from drowning? I don't think that, do I? You don't think for a minute, will that guy reject me? Will he think I'm odd? Will he be mad at me? Will he think, no, he's drowning. I want to do what I can to save him. That mentality ought to be ours when it comes to saving people from eternal damnation. We should not be afraid. In Revelation 21, verse 8, the Lord says, The fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What do you think this fearful is? So it's talking about people who are going to be lost, ultimately. Who do you think the fearful are? Could it be some of the kind of fear that we're describing here? I'm afraid to speak up for the Lord. I'm afraid to share the truth with lost people. I'm afraid of how they might react to me. Well, we need to get over that fear. In Acts chapter 4, verse 29, Now, Lord, when when the apostles had been threatened because they were preaching about Jesus, they prayed, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They were under real very real threat from powerful people who could take their lives. Behold their threatenings. Grant thy service with all boldness they may speak thy word. We need to pray that prayer. We need to pray to have the boldness to proclaim the saving message to those who are lost. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Paul says, Wherefore I take you to record this day. He, you remember this context. He was speaking to the elders from Ephesus. He says, "I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the gospel of God. Now think about this for just a minute. I am pure from the blood of all men. Paul says, I, 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 I will not be responsible. I am pure from the blood of all men. But the, but the flip side or implication is that he could have been responsible. Now he said, I'm not responsible. But I could have been, but the reason he says why I am not responsible, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So Paul's implication is that if he had not declared all of the gospel of God, that he could have been accountable for the blood of lost men. What about us? Are we afraid to declare the saving truth? I hope not. Remind you just one more time about that, that we talked about in the introduction about restaurants that fail if you were in the restaurant business and you were in serious jeopardy of going out of business because people weren't taking advantage of what you had to offer if, if you were in that case you'd you want to know why and you would do your best to change things for the better we know some of the reasons I don't think these are all the reasons but I think these are some, some predominant reasons why people are not being baptized into Christ Knowing that these things are so, we can make some changes. We can't, we can't correct it all, perhaps, but we can make some changes to help it be more likely that lost people will come to a saving knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ and be obedient to the gospel. We need to do what we can to make things better. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say and hope it's helpful. As we bring the lesson to a close, we're about to sing this song of invitation. Obviously, we want to address that very idea of obeying the gospel. For those in our assembly this morning who've never made that decision, what's holding you back? Uh, Might it be one of the things that we mentioned today? If that's the case, we hope that you would overcome all of those hindrances and make the decision to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. We know the steps. We often refer to the steps in the plan of salvation. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're subject to that invitation this morning, we hope you make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian and you need prayers of the saints, for whatever reason that might be, if we can help you in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.